You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Section 230 survives SCOTUS, Lemon Group's pre-infected devices. The IRS is sending cyber attachés to four countries in a new pilot program. A Wisconsin man is charged with stealing DraftKings credentials. Russian hacktivists conduct DDoS attacks against Polish news outlets. An update on Red Stinger. Grayson Milborn from Open Text Cybersecurity discusses IoT and the price we pay for convenience. Our guest is Matthew Keeley with information on an open-source domain spoofing tool, Spoofy, and war principles and hacktivist auxiliaries. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Friday, May 19th, 2023. The Supreme Court made decisions on two cases concerning the liability of social media platforms that contain terroristic content. Both cases, Twitter versus Tomne and Gonzalez versus Google, were initiated by the families of ISIS victims in Paris and Istanbul. The case against Twitter raised the question of whether the platform can be accused of aiding in terrorism for hosting tweets from ISIS. The case against Google asks if their recommendation system is protected under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which Article 19 explains, grants legal immunity to online platforms for content posted by third parties and allows platforms to remove objectionable content without exposing themselves to liability. The Supreme Court unanimously ruled in favor of Twitter and dismissed the case against Google. A cyber-criminal gang called Lemon Group has been leveraging pre-infected Android devices for malicious activity, Trend Micro reports. No fewer than 8.9 million devices, primarily budget phones, have been affected. According to the Hacker News, the gang has also been seen branching out to Android-based IoT devices. Bleeping Computer reports that the pre-installed malware Gorilla allows the hackers to load additional payloads, intercept texts, and hijack WhatsApp. The infected devices were reportedly reflashed with new ROMs, although it was not determined how the devices were initially infected. 
As the researchers explain, reflashing is reprogramming and or replacing the existing firmware of a device with a new one. The highest rates of infestation have been found in the U.S., Mexico, Indonesia, Thailand, Russia, South Africa, India, Angola, the Philippines, and Argentina. The IRS announced yesterday that it would begin a cyber attaché pilot program extending to four countries. The Hill reported that attachés will be sent to Australia, Colombia, Germany, and Singapore. This is not the first instance of IRS criminal investigation agents being sent abroad, and the IRS has a permanent cyber attaché at The Hague in the Netherlands. In a statement announcing the program, IRS CI Chief Jim Lee said, In order to effectively combat cybercrime, we need to ensure that our foreign counterparts have access to the same tools and expertise we have in the United States. Joseph Garrison, an 18-year-old from Wisconsin, was charged yesterday for hacking into approximately 60,000 DraftKings sports betting accounts in November of 2022. The complaint filed by the FBI explained that Mr. Garrison was able to purchase credentials from a third-party site and sell around 1,600 of the hacked accounts, causing about $600,000 to be withdrawn from the victims. Bleeping Computer explains that Mr. Garrison is also accused of running a dark web trafficking site that sells hacked accounts. The complaint alleges that law enforcement had located an undated picture showing that Goat Shop had sold over 225,000 products for a total sales revenue of over $2 million. Polish news agencies were taken offline yesterday by distributed denial-of-service attacks, Cyber News reports. The Polish government attributes the actions to Russian hacktivists. Such groups are well known to function as auxiliary cyber forces. DDoS campaigns have become a characteristic feature of Russia's hybrid war. HelpNet Security, citing a study by Aurelion, reviews the ways in which DDoS attacks attend geopolitical conflict. TASS is authorized to disclose that Yevgeny Kotikov has been convicted of crimes intended to disrupt the Russian Federation's IT infrastructure. Kotikov was reportedly involved in a computer DDoS attack organized by the Ukrainian side on the information systems of subjects of the critical information infrastructure of the Russian Federation. He will serve three years in a penal colony. Cyber News has a description of the conditions that accompany such a sentence. Suffice it to say, they are not good. Malwarebytes has recently reported on a cyber espionage group of uncertain provenance, Red Stinger, which appears to have selected targets on both sides of Russia's war against Ukraine. Kaspersky researchers this morning released a report on a group they call Cloud Wizard, and which they explicitly identify not only with Red Stinger, but also with the groups responsible for earlier operations in the region going back as far as 2008. Kaspersky, as a matter of policy, doesn't attribute cyber operations to nation-states. Who's behind Red Stinger remains an open question. Whoever it turns out to be, Wired points out, the ability to quietly mount offensive cyber campaigns over a 15-year period is remarkable. And finally, in war, even a just cause doesn't always equate to just conduct. 
Ukrainian-aligned hacktivists have conducted deception operations designed to unmask the identities of Russian officers and cause other mischief in the lives of enemy leaders. Some of those actions have involved deceiving the officers' family members, specifically their wives, into unwitting participation. Just Security has a thoughtful overview of the ways in which this and other activity in cyberspace have served to erode respect for the customary principles on which the norms of armed conflict are founded, Specifically, the principle of discrimination between combatant and non-combatant seems to be flouted by much hacktivist activity. While it might seem that deceiving a family is trivial in comparison with ordering the bombing of a hospital, which one of the Russian officers caught up in the deception is alleged to have done, any coarsening of moral sensibilities is dangerous. Governments need to exercise control over their auxiliaries as much as they do over their regulars. Coming up after the break, Grayson Milborn from Open Text Cybersecurity discusses IoT and the price we pay for convenience. Our guest is Matthew Keeley with information on an open source domain spoofing tool, Spoofy. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Matthew Keeley is Senior Application Security Engineer at SeatGeek and was previously Senior Security Consultant at Bishop Fox, where he developed an open-source tool called Spoofy, which checks domains against SPF and DMARC records. With most common cybercrime being phishing, uh, it only makes sense to have a tool that can sort of tell 
if domains can be spoofed. And so what I mean by that is when somebody sends an email to you, a lot of times what can happen is when you receive the email, what an attacker can do is they can actually change the name of where the email came from or the location of where it came from or anything like that. Um, and in doing so, you can spoof the email so that it lands perfectly in the victim's inbox um, and looks legitimate. So what attackers are doing is they're sending these spoofed emails into uh, victims' you know, inboxes. And a lot of times it's for phishing. Uh, sometimes it's for sending you know, wires to different locations. Sometimes it's to get credentials. Sometimes it's to download malware. Uh, but ultimately, the reason the Spoofy tool was built was to be able to determine and identify why domains were accepting these malicious emails um, and how to prevent them. Well, if we can dig into a little more of the background here, where do we stand with existing tools that are trying to help with this sort of thing, things like DMARC? Right. So there are some existing tools, but not a lot of them are completely accurate in terms of domain spoofing. So uh, domain spoofing is quite complex, and it goes rather deep into the SPF and DMARC records. So what those are is basically with the role of SPF, which is the sender policy framework, what it does is it acts as a text record on the DNS settings for a given domain. And so what it will do is it'll act like a guest list for party, for example. And so it'll specify what email servers are allowed to send emails on behalf of that domain. Um, so a good example that I give in uh, one of the blog posts that I've written about it is that if you have a domain and you want your uh, HR system, Greenhouse, to be able to send, do- you know, uh, send emails on your behalf, what you can do is you can actually set that up in the SPF record. And so those emails will be able to send as your domain. Um, cyberwire.com, for example, um, and send through like that. And so what we sort of run into is that attackers can abuse the way that these SPF and DMARC records are set up to be able to land these domains in the inboxes. And there are tools to be able to monitor and track the records. However, they're quite ambiguous and not always one-to-one with the RFC for SPF or DMARC. Um, And so what we find is that there's a ton of domains out there uh, that are still misconfigured. And a lot of people just don't know it. So Spoofy is an open source tool here. Uh, walk us through it. What exactly does it do? Yeah, so Spoofy is a Python 3 tool. Um, it's an open source tool. And basically what it will do is it will take in a list of domains and it will validate the SPF and DMARC records of those domains. So there's a huge chart that a, a very great researcher named Alex Royce created um, and it's all the logic of every single edge case that could possibly happen when you have a SPF and a DMARC record. And so what he did is he took a list of about, uh, I'd say about 50,000 domains, and he went through them all one by one to figure out every single edge case that could happen when you send a, uh, an email to some sort of inbox. And so what we ended up finding and what we created Spoofy to do is to catch all those edge cases. So you could have a perfect SPF record that works just as you would expect it to, um, but some weird you know, syntax error or something weird that you set up in the DMARC record and everything can go wrong and then the, the domain can still be spoofed. So what Spoofy does is it, it's a tool that handles the scalability of that. So it will take in a huge list of domains. You can uh, it's multi-threaded, so it can go anywhere from 100, to, uh, 100 domains to a couple hundred thousand domains, um, and it will validate those SPF and DMARC records and tell you if the domain is spoofable or not. 
And so who is this for? What's the ideal use case here? Yeah, so a lot of the feedback we've been getting is mostly people that are in IT on the blue teaming side. Uh, originally, I wrote it as a red team tool, and it's actually a tool that's listed in the uh, course by Rastamouse, the red team ops uh, course. But it can be used by both. So red teamers are using it to find domains that they can send spooked emails on behalf of uh, and then go and fix that for their organization. And blue teamers are taking their list of domains. So they may take it out of GoDaddy or uh, you know Route 53. They're pumping in their list of domains and validating that their SPF and DMARC records are correct. So sort of one of those tools that uh, we intentionally wrote for red teamers and then it started actually being more popular in the blue team space. Why was it important for you and your colleagues to make this an open source project? So the thing with open source tools is uh, it's supposed to help everybody, right? And so if we wanted it just to be a red team tool, uh, more on the malicious side, I, it wouldn't really make sense in that aspect. There are tools out there that do um, some of the stuff that Spoofy does. However, we took a lot of what the other tools were doing and then combined it all into one tool that basically will check like your SPF includes. Um, it'll check everything. So being open source, we get a lot more uh, community feedback. It's useful for anybody that wants to use this sort of things. And you know, we're not, we're not sort of gatekeeping this technology. It should be able to be used by uh, anybody to protect their domains. And people can get it on GitHub, yes? Yep, absolutely. Uh, so it's on GitHub. Uh, I think it's github.com slash Matt Keeley slash Spoofy. Um, and we just released version 1.01, which allows for multi-threading. So now we can go through about 1,000 domains in roughly 15 seconds. So uh, a lot more scalability in that aspect. That's Matthew Keeley from SeatGeek. You can learn more about Spoofy on the Bishop Fox website. Be sure to check out the extended version of this interview. It's part of CyberWire Pro. And joining me once again is Grayson Milborn. He is Security Intelligence Director at Open Text Security Solutions. Grayson, it's always a pleasure to welcome you back to the show. Uh, I think like a lot of folks, uh, over the holiday, uh, my home was populated with some additional IoT devices. Uh, it seems inevitable these days, but uh, you make the point that uh, IoT in general is something that we need to keep an eye on. Yeah, you know, it's uh, one of these these great new conveniences that technology has added to our lives. And um, while it's great that we can connect things and, and have little robots to keep our house nice and tidy, a lot of people really don't think about the security element of this. And and some unfortunate data has come to light recently that that shows that the the vendors of these these convenience applications and and, and robots <laughs> and, and smart appliances. They're collecting a lot more information than I think people realize. And as one example, you know, there was a story a couple of weeks ago about data coming onto the internet from uh, from Roomba vacuums and, and people in the bathroom. And right, um, right. You know, wait a second. I thought I was just getting a clean floor, <laughs> and now um, <laughs> my pictures are on the internet. Wait a second. Um, and so that's just one example. But the reality is, is when we really look at IoT devices across the board, security is very frequently not even part of the, the thought process, right? Um, they they want to make something, bring it to market. 
and and learn about as much they, as they can about you in, in that process. And, and protecting your information, you know, as we've seen, uh, if you look at the Roomba box, it doesn't say that it, it has a camera, right? It doesn't, you know, they're not advertising these additional functionalities. And I think that's a really serious uh, security and privacy breach. What about for folks who are in charge of protecting organizations? You know, what sort of, of IoT vigilance should they have? Yeah, well, so I think that that's really where businesses need to, to pay attention because <clears throat> you can have a, a smart water heater or toaster or uh, a lot of other like kitchen appliances are often becoming smarter and smarter today. And a lot of offices uh, have overlap there. And I think the challenge is that these, these devices can have vulnerabilities that can leak the uh, network authentication uh, data. And so I think it's it's mostly important to segment them on your networks properly. And you can actually do this at home. And so uh, the advice I give also to my friends and family is that, uh, you know, IoT is really convenient. And also having a separate network for your IoT isn't that difficult to set up. I personally got a mesh uh, network system for my house so that I have like a mesh network that gives me better Wi-Fi signal throughout the house. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just put my IoT on the mesh network. And it sits behind uh, my router that has my regular internet and then that broadcasts my Wi-Fi to my uh, to my phone and to my PCs, uh, but basically everything else that's not a you know, personal device like that sits on the mesh network. Businesses can easily do something you know, similar in which you know, these devices only have limited access. What about inventorying the devices themselves? I mean, I, I often hear people say that it, it's hard enough just keeping track of everything that's been hosed up to their network or their Wi-Fi. Right. And so, you know, technology has done somewhat of an improvement here. Um, So I I can speak at least for Comcast. I have them in my uh, house and and they have an app that lets me uh, tag devices by their MAC address when they join the network. Um, You can set it up so you get an alert. Um, And so I've gone through and I've named the things that are on my network so that instead of it being, uh, because a lot of them aren't as transparent as you would hope they would be. And so that's one way, right? And then and just becoming more familiar with uh, your router and modem and not looking at it like a black box that spits internet out, but instead, you know, and it's, it's, they've really, I think, made it user-friendly, at least in the ones I've, I've experienced, you know, to be able to just block internet access to certain devices based on the Mac. Um, so you kind of have some firewall functionality within these uh, routers today that's easily controlled through the uh, mobile app. And so I think that that was one thing that helps. But another question I often get is, you know, how do I how do I vet and choose and and know which is the safest IoT device to get? Right. And I think that, that that's actually still a, a big challenge that I would like to see uh, industry solve through something sort of similar to Energy Star. But there could be you know hmm. Security Star IoT um, that right, right. you know is, is a set of standards that that ensures that you know just data transmission um, is done using proper uh, uh, secure channels. Um, and and that data storage is done properly, you know, abiding to like GDPR or something some of a something of a similar uh, regulatory framework that that ensures your data is uh, protected. Unfortunately, that doesn't yet exist. And so I think one of the things that I always look for is understanding where is my data stored. And most of the time, they're pretty transparent about you know is it local to the device? Is it something that's up in the cloud? And and for me personally, I when I shop for IoT devices, I really look for things that you know, don't send a lot of information to the cloud or that keep mm. everything on my lo- local network because it worries me, right? For example, like I have a, a doorbell, a smart doorbell, which I think is a really nice security feature, but I, I don't trust um, like, you know, everybody who comes to my house, you know, that's not public knowledge, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, like I shopped around to find a, a doorbell that doesn't send the data to the cloud that keeps it all local, but I can still access it. So 
you know, I think it depends on your own personal privacy boundaries, but there are definitely competitive advantages to you know, considering security uh, as part of the device. And in fact, some of the ones that I, you know, the example I mentioned, uh, you know, that brand advertises based on that kind of security mindset. Um, so mm. you can look for that, um, uh, you know, in the meantime. Yeah. And just be mindful to not be shopping strictly on price too. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very good point. Um, you know, I, there's a saying that, um, you know, it, when something is free, you're the product. Right and 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 so we look at social media like that and Facebook and and uh, these platforms that that harvest your data for their their data mining. You know, IoT is an extension of that in many ways. Uh, and if you think about just like the smart vacuum or a, like a Roomba, Amazon bought Roomba. Roomba has a good idea of what's in your house and where it is and if it's been moved and you know like what are they doing with all this information? And, and mm-hmm. obviously, you know, they're going to argue that they're trying to you know be convenient and uh, offer you know smarter, more intelligent suggestions based on improved understanding of you but you know is that all they do with the data like how is it protected you know it to me like those types of things make me nervous and so you know i try to to limit my exposure in that regard yeah all right well good advice as always grace and milborn thanks for joining us Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Willie Vasquez from the University of Texas at Austin. We're discussing his research, The Most Dangerous Codec in the World, Finding and Exploiting Vulnerabilities in H.264 Decoders. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The CyberWire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by Rachel Gelfand. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. 
And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 